0: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Across the Dinerverse, Searching for the heart and soul of America, one diner at a time. How you doing? I'm John Murphy, writer and producer on the science and technology series, Innovation Nation with Mo Rocca, which airs Saturday mornings on CBS. Check your local listing for airtime. And now I travel this great land talking to people over waffles, ribeye steaks, in something called a hash brown bowl. Yeah, that really exists. A hash brown bowl. Talk about their lives, their community, and how they feel about America. Now, I'm currently doing a series of episodes around a true crime. Originating from the Anvil Bar and Grill in Curtis, Nebraska, and the Highway Diner in Lincoln. And I'll be talking with former Frontier County Sheriff Lanny Rob Lee about the Hoyt murder case which happened 50 years ago in southwest Nebraska where I grew up, as well as with clinical and forensic psychologist Dr. Mario Scalora, a professor of psychology at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, for his expert analysis on the how and why average people get themselves into situations where they try to harm themselves or commit acts of unspeakable violence against someone else. Now, much of the story in this episode is told by the people who are themselves the main protagonists, namely Harold Noakes, a married man who is having a torrid long-term love affair with a divorcee named Kay Hine, and we'll hear from Kay Hine herself. Let me just say, I'm not judging these people, and I'm the last person who has any right to do that. They were clearly broken and had no understanding of where their emotions and actions were taking them what happened was an undeniable tragedy for the victims and their families as well for the family of those convicted of these heinous crimes. I really think it's a cautionary tale. I mean, we shouldn't blindly give in to everything we crave, envy, or desire. That can enslave us. And that's why they're called deadly sins, which unfortunately proved to be true in this case. To recap last week's episode, a local farm couple from Culbertson, Nebraska, Edwin and Wilma Hoyt, parents of five adult children but still in the prime of their lives, suddenly disappeared from their home after returning from an extended trip to Germany visiting one of their sons. They were last seen after a family picnic on Sunday, September 23, 1973. Their daughter, Kay Hine, a single mother of two children, had been the target of public shaming when spray-painted vulgar descriptions of her sexual exploits with numerous men started appearing on local road signs. The Red Willow County Sheriff's Office and the Nebraska State Patrol launched an investigation, and it became clear Kay Hine had many lovers, as many as 11. On Wednesday, October 3rd, body parts began to surface in a reservoir 35 miles northeast of McCook, Nebraska, the Red Willow County seat and the setting for much of this story. You'll hear how a secret affair escalated into resentment, obsession, and anger. This is American Gothic, Love and Murder, Part 2.
1: I think without much question, it is one of the more uh, significant cases that we've ever had in the state of Nebraska, I can't really understand why they felt they had to cut up the bodies, for example, but um, it it certainly is indicative of the fact that Nebraskans, especially unschooled to some degree, Nebraskans who live in uh, the outlying parts of the state, really don't know what to do when faced with a situation ...that Harold Noakes found himself in. It it just didn't work.
0: That's James Hewitt, author of a book about the Hoyt murders called In Cold Storage. Jim's an attorney and was a law school classmate of Nebraska's former state attorney general, Paul Douglas... ...who gave Mr. Hewitt all of the files, police reports, and taped interviews from the Hoyt murder
1: case. Uh, And the thing that really attracted me, I must confess... White was nuts. Uh, She really was. Uh, The first thing that I remember, we had a condo in Colorado at that time, and I took the, the box of stuff out there and was reading it. And suddenly the sexual aspect of the case became very clear, and she was very candid. She talked about it what had transpired, and I thought, my God, this is kind of interesting. I I can't remember how I first met Lanny Robley, but I knew that he was the key to a lot of it, and the more I met him, I really liked him. I thought he was a a peach of a guy, and um, he helped me a great deal, and it was just downhill from there.
0: Now, when Hewitt says Hoyt was nuts, he was referring to Kay Hines maiden name, Kay Hoyt. Kay married her high school sweetheart, Dwayne Hine, after graduating from a Cook Senior High in 1961. Dwayne was a star running back on the 1960 Class B Bison football team, which won the state championship with an undefeated season. He shared the backfield with All-State athlete Vince Wasia, which is a name you should remember because it will come up again. And like many young people during that time, the main reason for getting married was Simply just to have sex. Who doesn't like sex? And in the beginning, Dwayne and Kay's relationship was fine. Dwayne got a job working for the State Department of Roads. His boss was none other than Harold Noakes. And because Harold and Dwayne worked together, they often socialized with their wives, Ina and Kay.
2: Have you seen Harold uh, on a friendly type basis over the past few years? Yes. And when did this start?
3: when Duane was working at the state of Nebraska.
2: Have you seen Harold since you, during that period of time, when only you and Harold were there? Yes. And have you uh, had more than a friendly type of relationship with him? Yes. From that point forward, uh, see Harold frequently? Yes. About how frequently would you say you would see
3: Probably about once a week. I don't know if it was quite that often. I talked to him about every day.
2: Were you at that time still married?
3: I was, yes.
2: And were you at that time having difficulties in your marriage?
3: I had had difficulties in my marriage all the time.
2: When did you file for divorce?
3: 71, but it was not because of him that I got the divorce. I knew I could talk, I mean, he was always there to talk to and everything, but Dwayne and I couldn't go on living this way. The way
0: that we were living. As you were researching the book, you tried to reach out to the people who were involved. I did. You talked to Donna Elmer, who was Kay Hines' sister. Right. I spoke with Donna on the phone for about an hour. She was she was going to let me come and interview her, but then she changed her mind. Been too hard. You know, she didn't really want to rip off that scab again and, and deal with it. But I found it very interesting when she told me that she really disliked Kay right off the
1: bat. I think she did not like her sister. Yeah. I don't think any of the family did. I think they they were very concerned about her and and that she was interested only in her own uh, happiness and her own situation. Her husband, uh, have you talked to her husband? Dwayne? Uh, Dwayne. No, I have not. He was very helpful, and, and he didn't seem to be upset about any of this sort of stuff. He wanted to make sure that his daughters were okay. What did
0: he say about being married to Kay, and what was that like?
1: He said that she was very interested in what she wanted to do and didn't pay a whole lot of attention to anything that he wanted to do. They would play cards, they would go dancing, and that was their social life. Kay got tired of just taking care of these girls, she got tired of just being a house mother. And, and this all got started at a New Year's dance.
0: Harold Noakes reveals how he and Kay became intimate. The man questioning Harold is attorney Paul Douglas.
4: Uh, it was six years ago last New Year's Eve, I guess it was. It was up the uh, club, club, and come New Year's Eve, why, I kissed her and come midnight. I felt at that time she was, uh, I didn't know how you'd say it, but she showed her emotions more than I anticipated. And then, well, we went fishing and come together since that time. And it was four years ago, in last November, I would say, that she called up, one
5: evening, one of would meet her. I did uh, Between the time that you kissed her on that New Year's Eve and the time that you indicated that she called you, had you two ever done anything intimately together? Had you ever had any sexual relations or anything? No. Nope. Had you ever kissed or anything like that in between those two periods of time? Mm-hmm. No, I can think of. And do you remember um, where you were when she called you? Not at home. And do you recall where you met?
4: Uh picked her up in front of the hospital.
5: Where?
4: Bed and Cook, uh, hospital. And uh, did she get into your car? Yes. I do recall where you went. Uh, we went uh, out on Highway 6 West and Cook. It was a rainy night, road was muddy, and I stopped out there uh, about a mile west of Perry. Before they make window there, it's a hard surface, I pulled in on that.
5: And did you have a conversation or of any kind? that was mm, not too much. Normal. What did she tell you she wanted to talk to you about?
4: Well, she wondered, really didn't want much, much talking to it. I mean, she let me know that how much I meant to her, and she was, she was out and got in you know, there right quick I got there. Did you have sexual relations at that time? Yes.
5: Was it in the front seat or back seat? Front seat. And after that, had you met quite often after that? Yes. And when I say quite often, I mean maybe once a week.
4: Uh, it would average at least that much.
5: And uh, usually, be in an automobile. Yes. Did you ever go anyplace with
4: her? You mean uh, other towns or? Yeah. Did you ever take her to dinner anywhere? Uh, we went to motel a few times at other towns and. Uh, Gothenburg one night, we went out and ate there and had a drink or two.
5: And did you go to a motel in Gothenburg?
4: That's correct.
5: Just the two of you? Yes. And did you check into the motel at Gothenburg?
4: Yes. And was this while she was still married all this period of time? Most of it would have been, I think, uh, some of it might have been after she was separated. I'm not sure.
5: And then did she get a divorce from her husband? Yes. Did she tell you why she was getting a divorce?
4: Uh, she said that she didn't want to be with two men. She said she felt guilty whenever she went to bed with him, and she wanted to be free.
5: Was there any talk of her divorcing your husband or marrying you?
4: Very little. I told her I wouldn't leave my wife. And what did she say about that? That seemed to be agreeable with for her at that time.
5: Is it fair to say that you, you two enjoyed each other? Yes. I assume that you enjoyed hers. Yes. Almost as much as she probably enjoyed having your company. Yes. Was there a particular reason why uh, you found
4: yourself going with her? Did you give her any reason why
5: you
0: were going with her? No, we attracted each other. I met up with clinical and forensic psychologist Dr. Mario Scalora in Lincoln at the Highway Diner, and I asked him what seemed to be the most obvious question. What is it about the makeup of somebody that makes them get involved with other people outside of committed relationships?
6: What is the need there? Well, there are a lot of reasons why that happens. And I can't speak to that specific person, obviously, as we talked before. You know, sometimes sometimes people do those things because they're unhappy in their current relationship and they're finding real, uh, happiness elsewhere.
0: Excitement, thrilling, new. And, and
6: in some cases, people do it because it's exciting and thrilling. They're looking for where they can do it. And, and sometimes there's the thrill of, can I get away with this? Right. You know, it takes takes some nerve to be able to do this with your best friend. It takes balls, for sure. Well, you know, it depends which body parts are involved. <laughs> um, but it, it does take some take some nerve to do that. And there's some folks who will do that because they're longing for something else or they're interested in other sexual interests, but they're going to do it elsewhere. You know, nowadays you can look on your phone, slip right or left, and you can find somebody easily.
0: Oh, there's websites all over the place that you can. You can do this.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And then set you up. By the way, this is happening in a place where you can't, you know, mind you, we didn't have those things back
0: then. This is 1973. Actually, the affair started with a
6: kiss, New Year's Eve kiss at midnight on January 1st, 1970. So, again, over 50% plus years ago. There there could be a range of reasons why that happened. And maybe there was a sexual attraction between the parties uh, in that regard. Uh, you can question whether people should be engaging in that. That's a, a separate issue. But, you know, when we try to ask why, there are a lot of reasons why people end up there. The fact that, you know, not, not all these things tend to end up in long-term engaged situations. Extramarital activity takes on all kinds of forms and could Sometimes it's very brief, very momentary. Sometimes you'll see longer-term situations. Very often these things end with disruptions in a marital relationship. It's right. hard, to, hard to maintain one relationship, much less two. But what's most troublesome with this case is
0: two people not intimately connected in this. Right. It's the parents of the daughter who's involved in the relationship, just the parents. Then there's this other layer of where signs about Kahine start appearing on county roads and local roads. That say disparaging things about her and, right. and the sexual acts that she's willing to do for as little as ten dollars. Right. And so now the whole community is aware of her
6: sullied reputation. And that's happening in a small community. I mean, you're and, and doing, everybody's talking about this. It. This would be embarrassing if you did that in Lincoln, Nebraska, where there are three hundred thousand people. It would get around. But now you're in a smaller community yes. where everybody knows everybody. Yes.
0: And everybody knows who you are despite your married name. Right. They know Kay Hine is actually Kay Hoyt, who was the daughter of Edwin and Wilma
6: Hoyt. And half of whom may know there was a relationship going on. That's
0: right. Half the town may know. You're half right. Half
6: the town may know. So this is even more intense that you have that going on. So now, you know, I talked about love, lust, and anger, right? Yeah. You got anger on all sides. You know, you got a lot. You got you got something of import on both sides of this where you have reputations at stake, people who are cared for, who are being caught in the middle. And all of a sudden now, this is this is very personal one. This isn't just some abstraction. And now half the community knows, and you're reminded of it. We see this more and more now with electronic bullying and things, because you can be reminded of that. That was the precursor to electronic bullying. If you think about right. it, you're painting
0: it, you, painting your private put, life put, on signs, putting
6: a sign out there that says, guess, guess who is a whore and guess yeah. what you, what we know about this person. That's, that's pretty intense.
0: Now, the backstory as to why those signs were being painted and placed out in public view is because she started serial dating numerous men in town and prominent men. Men who owned businesses, men who were part of the Chamber of Commerce or the City Council, men of high reputation who were also married. So there was talk about that she was a quote unquote old terminology, a nymphomaniac. Which leads to the discussion of sexual addiction. Is sex a legitimate disorder of mental illness or not?
6: Let's let's unpack that a little bit. If we would, there are, there's more and more recognition of what people refer to as sexual addiction or compulsivity related to sexuality or hypersexuality, different. And there are a variety of reasons how people get to what is called hypersexuality. And there's a lot more research being done on that. Now, one of the things we got to step back with is that that language is often used very differently with men than it is women the the fact that this woman is being painted that way while there are guys who are a- actively engaging with her who weren't being framed that way is it's bullshit it is bullshit and it's also part of why the all these discussions get so messy yeah and i because, totally agree yeah, with that. you know um there's it I takes know, two to tango <clears throat> right and you don't and i know you're not trying to paint it that way but it's Part of the challenge like that is when this language is often thrown around, it's often thrown around at the detriment of these women. Harold
0: goes on describing his affair with Kay. And just a note about the audio. During the interview, Harold spoke very, very softly. And it was recorded on a reel-to-reel tape recorder, and you can hear the damn thing whirring, the motor running in the background. So it took quite a bit of audio tweaking to hear Harold's words. So you may hear some spikes of loudness, and you might want to just pay really close attention for the next couple of minutes.
5: Do you think she was in love with you, Mr. Nokes? I thought at the time at she was. Do you know if you thought you were in love with her? Uh, yes, I but in spite of the fact you loved her, you felt you still did not want to leave her leave your wife, quarter, is no, that correct? That's correct. Now Mr. Nokes, up to this Time that she filed for divorce. Had you had anything except a normal sex relation with her? I
4: don't know exactly what you mean. You know
5: what oral, oral, oral sodomy or yeah. oral copulation was? There any oral copulation? Yeah. yeah. And had you had had she had oral copulation with you? Yes, she did. And had you had any oral copulation with her?
0: No. As Kay's affair with Harold continued, she eventually filed for divorce from Dwayne Hine in September of 1971, and at the time, Nebraska didn't have a no-fault divorce law, which meant Kay had to show cause to a judge why her marriage should be dissolved. Kay ended up accusing Duane of both verbal and physical abuse toward her and their daughters, as well as alienation of affection because of his outdoor sporting activities, which was hunting and fishing. Kay was able to convince her parents, Edwin and Wilma Hoyt, to support her claims official statements to the judge and her affair with Harold was never mentioned because Dwayne was unaware of it. Kay was granted a divorce and custody of their daughters, Angela and Brenda in November 1971. Dwayne eventually moved away and took a job with the Burlington Northern Railroad in Yuma, Colorado.
5: Is there any other kind of sex activities that you had with her
4: up to this point? Up to the point of her filing mm-hmm. for divorce? She was real aggressive even quite a bit to satisfy her.
5: You think uh, all during this period of time that she was uh, having an affair with anyone else except yourself?
4: As far as I know she was not I didn't believe she was anyway.
5: Then uh, she filed for a divorce and she got the divorce is that correct? Did you ever tell your wife about the relationships that you were having with Kate Hunt?
4: Uh, eventually yes.
5: How did you happen to tell your wife about Kate?
4: Well the main, main reason is uh I never did like to hide anything Didn't see. Sneaking around about what we were doing, I couldn't see that, so I told her about it.
5: And what was her reaction
4: all she told her? She was afraid of that. She
5: had suspected it. Did you make any promises to her that you wouldn't see Kay anymore? No. She never asked you to quit seeing her? No. And did you continue to see her after you told your wife about it? Yes. Yeah. Was your wife aware of the fact that you kept seeing yeah. her? Yeah. All right, um, had the three of you ever done anything together?
4: Yes, we have some, yes.
5: And can you tell me the first time that the three of you got together? For... Uh,
4: I would say that was long in the middle of 72, um, shortly after I had one.
5: Okay, and can you tell me what happened, or how it happened? I mean, did you call Kay, or did your wife bump into you and Kay together, or what
4: happened? I had mentioned before about the Kay, and she said, well, anyway, get in my bed and be fine with her. And
5: Excuse me, I misunderstood what you said. You mentioned what to Kay?
4: I would have her come over and stay with us some. She said that was fine with her. And so, uh, I approached that to the wife. And she was afraid to lose me, I think, and she went along with it. And she thought a lot of Kay because her and Kay did a lot of things
5: together. Were they friends? Yes. And so, uh, did you call Kay up for me? Yes. Yeah.
4: And uh, what did you tell her? I told her. I don't remember exactly the words I did tell her, but one know she came come over as long in the evening as night, and she was there in just a few minutes
5: and her kids to come over. She came over with her
4: children? Yes.
5: And what did she,
4: what did she do with the children when they came over? Well, they had their good... So, mm-hmm. Most of the time we was together. It wasn't for really, that. We played cards and had a good time.
5: And the children went to bed?
4: Well, they stayed over the house, I would say, at least once a week. From that time on, for a
5: time. And during that period of time, were the three of you go to bed together? Some,
4: yes. And if you stayed all night, we all went
5: to bed. You have a big double bed? Yes. And the three of you went to bed
4: together?
5: Yes. And uh, as I understand it, you'd have relations with one or the other or with both? Yeah. And there was some sexual activity between the two women,
4: periodically, as I understand it. Um, not too much. How long did this conduct go on? went on until just about a year ago, something like that. January or February.
5: And then what happened, if anything, right about
4: that time? Well, uh, long in December, uh, Kay had hit her head. My understanding was she was at home, and she raised her head up under the cupboard and caused her to have a concussion. She was in the hospital, and from that time on, her disposition changed. Whether that's what caused her or not, I Okay, that
5: would have been December of 72 then?
4: Yes, but it was probably a couple of months after that that kind of stopped.
5: Did you three of you have a quarrel, or was there a quarrel between you and Kay, or Kay and your wife, or the,
4: you and your wife and Kay? I don't know what you are referring to the one time that she called me an SOB and I'd slapped
5: her. I really wasn't referring to anything. I, yeah. What I'm trying to find out is, why did the three of you quit going to bed together?
4: Well, that I, I really don't know. That's why I was telling you that uh, it seemed like she had this concussion that she had a change attitude towards everything well, and falling about that time that uh when she kind of stopped coming over. and uh, did you still keep on inviting her to come over uh
5: some yes and did she say no she didn't want to come over uh that's
0: right okay so after hearing that story i, I had to get dr Scalora's input on this three-way
6: relationship between harold Kay, and now ina there's a lot of different stuff that goes on when we think about people engaging in heightened sexual activity. Compared to 50 years back, people are discussing this a lot more. Oh, yeah. Back then, it
0: was in the shadows.
6: Right. And so, when you think about issues around sexual, sexually compulsive behavior, or what some people may call addictive, right, sometimes the addiction piece... Is very descriptive because some folks feel like they have a hard time controlling it, right? It is very difficult and sexuality is very, um, it is very stimulating like a drug could be, right? And it could also lead to harmful behaviors and side effects like a drug could. Didn't uh, Patrick Cairns in his book,
0: uh, Out of the Shadows, talk about the dopamine hit that an orgasm is just like taking a hit of
6: cocaine? Right. And so you have that kind of thing going on. On the other hand, there are for some, though. I mean, there are some people where it is very challenging for them to do that. It is hard for them to figure out how to control that. Just like, And then there are some who engage in sexualized behaviors who can manage it. the, The manageability issue. And how do we differentiate between the two? We're still sorting out to be frank about it. And, and I don't mean to say that, that there aren't people who aren't trying to figure these things out and right. who aren't struggling because that we, we gain nothing by minimizing people's struggles.
0: Well, no, right. that's one thing I do want to make clear is that these are human beings right. involved in an extraordinary situation and they're fallible. Right. right. Most likely, they weren't in therapy dealing with their issues. They're trying to manage it on their own, which most people, quite frankly, and I'm I'm throwing my hand up, we failed to do it. Because we we were in denial, or we like what we're doing, or we haven't suffered enough pain yet to
6: stop. Well, and when I was making differentiation between the folks who are trying to figure it out and those who are engaging but could manage it, generally the people can manage things but do it, they're doing it for some other gain. There's some other secondary purpose or gain here. Like control. Power, or money, or yeah. and I'm not talking prostitution. I'm talking about manipulation or some other mm-hmm. power or other things, relationally or otherwise. When we think about when people engage in these kinds of behaviors, what are they getting from them? and And frankly, also, how is it harming them? Because if you think about uh, when we talk, if you want to use the framework of addiction, people sometimes do things despite the fact that it's uh, it's counter to their best interests. And so what is it that's reinforcing that behavior? What is that dopamine doing, so to speak? Or what else is going on that is keeping that in place? Which makes it interesting when you have all these parties involved and what's going on, right? So now all of a sudden, somebody is not in this relationship. They're in another relationship, and all this hell is breaking loose because there's stuff being put out on the road signs. Yeah, You have people now talking. You have reputations going on, and you don't know who's talking to who, stirring who up to reinforce the parfait of grievance.
0: Yeah, well, it ended in the death of her parents. Now, I want to ask you, too, I think it also deals with the sexual component, but codependency, we hear that term a lot, codependency in relationships. What does that mean, and what are some of the actions tied to codependency that people do? Now, in this particular case, Harold Noakes and Kay Hine started their affair first. The affair continued for about a year and a half, and then Kay Hine divorced her husband, hoping that Harold would divorce his wife, Ina, and they would be together. That never happened. So Harold, out of, you know, Kay broke it off. Harold, out of guilt, or for whatever reason, confessed to Ina that he was having this affair with Kay Hine. Ina said, that's okay, I forgive you. And if it makes you happy, continue having your relationship with Kay. As a matter of fact, why don't you bring her home? And so Harold goes, this is great, this is fantastic. I get my mistress and my wife, and my wife says I can bring her home and eventually within a short period of time ina becomes involved in their sexual relationship mm. and when you read the transcripts from the police investigation about some of the things that they were doing intimately together i mean look anybody can do whatever they want to do physically with each other in a sexual gratification level as long as everybody's safe and they agree to it and right. it, it, anything yep, goes consenting adults right, right. If consenting adults want to be tied up and whipped and wear black masks and all <laughs> that, up to them. But it just seems so out of character for me that a wife would, A, I can understand her forgiving her husband for cheating on her after they've been married for 25, 26 years, letting that go. But then why would a woman let her husband continue on and then become engaged with it? It seems to me there's a codependency there that she's trying to keep him
6: at all costs. That may be true. It could be other things. You don't know how honest he, you, you, know, you have the one person in the middle, the male who you don't know what he's saying to both parties. they're right. they're being played off against each other, Yep. and he may have told the first the first woman, "Hey, I'm here for you, and she's ready to divorce." And he may not admit that to his spouse, right? He may have been playing both sides on that, which, People sometimes do in these circumstances. Dependency is based on the notion that you feel compelled to do things, to stay in a relationship, to, to meet the needs of others over and above your own needs. Maybe that was going on there. What we don't know is what these folks were doing previously in their marital and sexual lives if they were doing other things like this before. Hard to believe these things just came out of the blue like that. It uh, seems like such a head scratch. is like, wow. Right. It just you, makes you wonder what was happening prior to that. Just, it, again, not knowing the parties, but yeah, makes you wonder. Now, could, could you have someone who feels very emotionally dependent on someone who's more of a manip- manipulative, let's say, male, who's willing to do whatever that guy wants to stay in the relationship? Hell yes. The more manipulative... Typically, codependency suggests that you have two parties who connect to each other because their dependency upon each other feeds each other. Mm-hmm. But what we often see is that you have someone who's dependent who may be at the at the whims of an alpha who manipulates them, who is willing to play that dependency off and play off more as the stronger character to reinforce that dependency of the other person. So it really depends. Are are we talking two betas or are we talking an alpha and a beta here?
0: Many people to this day, including myself and the lead investigator, Sheriff Lanny Robley of Frontier County, believe that Ina Noakes is a lot more involved than what was confessed to, Mm -hmm. a lot more manipulative than maybe people were aware of. You know, again, it's all secondary, and it could be considered gossip and things like that, but co-workers and things like that said she was very cold, very standoffish, very calculating, very efficient, very good at her job, but was just a different kind of person who wasn't really an open book and really wasn't a a warm, inviting person. She was very kind of cold and very...
6: Doesn't sound like an easy, manipulated person.
0: Exactly. So is actually she the one who's controlling
6: Harold? Or they're not controlling each other. They may have been feeling mutual needs there. You describe, I mean, this case involved a rather gruesome crime. Yes. A rather gruesome activity to get rid of the bodies. Taking an axe and cutting the bodies up in a very butchered... You either have one very strong party and a weak party who acquiesces, or you have two strong parties who are sharing the grievance. I'm glad I'm not a producer as to figure out the storyline.
0: That's why this case still resonates with that community, and quite frankly, people in the state of Nebraska who know about the case still scratch their heads and go, that is some wild, tangled story. I don't know if we ever will understand truly what was going on. I would agree with you. This menage a trois, which sounds so fun and erotic in French, uh, went on for some time during the summer and fall of 1972. But the dynamics became strained. As Harold mentioned earlier, in December, Kay accidentally hit her head on a kitchen cabinet, giving her a concussion. And after that, Harold said Kay's feelings toward he and Ina soured. And who knows, maybe God literally knocked some sense into Kay because it was obvious Harold had no intention of ever leaving his wife Ina. And Kay's resentment was escalating.
2: I indicated there was no. some type of relationship with Harold. Was there also a relationship between you and Harold and Harold's wife?
3: Yes, there was.
2: And do you recall about one last time?
3: July 4th. Oh, there were problems, but it all came to a close after Kansas City. What happened in Kansas City? I got very upset we went out and then I got upset and it wasn't at Kansas City we left there and, and we were I can't remember the name of the town we stopped for sure and we stopped on the way home and we stopped and ate supper and we went out and went back to the motel and he slapped me around. I called him a name and he didn't think I had any cause to be upset. Neither did she. And I was very upset. And we went back to the motel and he was very upset with me because I was upset. And he didn't think I had any reason to be upset. And he slapped me around quite a bit and I came home and I was pretty bruised up and they told their son he was supposed to be at a guard meeting and he wasn't and so we went and they said well you stay here to get feeling better anyway and I was pretty well bruised up and Owen saw me and their son saw me and it was passed off that I had fallen and he had slapped me around and I had I ran that night. I ran ran out of the motel, and uh, I did fall down on the street. My skin my knee up and that. But he slapped me around. I got a black eye, pretty rough, up, and that was.
2: Well, what it led up to. The
3: well, they could go out whenever they wanted to, and this was great, and this was fine, and uh, I mean I wasn't supposed to. It wasn't supposed to bother me, and it did. And so then when we did get to go out, well, everything was supposed to be, she was supposed to get, I mean, dance with her, and then he danced with me, and then he danced with her. And, and he danced with her more <laughs> than he did with me, and he didn't think he had me, to did she, and uh, I didn't like it, and I was... And I, I knew that it was never going to work. And uh, then I, he couldn't understand why I was disgusted or why I was mad. And he said something, and I told him just to leave me alone. And one thing led to another thing, and then I called him son of a bitch. And we don't do that to Harold. Does so Harold
2: pretty violent
3: temper? He it? doesn't get mad very often but when he does. But what about Enoch? She never really says too much. I mean she says what she thinks, but she knew she was smaller than I was and she never really said too much. And she didn't think that he had done anything that night Did
2: you come back that night or did you come
3: back? Yes, we came back that night about as fast as he could drive and Was that when it
2: when things broke up between
3: Yes, that was the last time that I'd been over there and talked. She tricked me coming over.
0: According to Kay, she did her best to cut ties from the Noakes's, but they wouldn't let her go.
2: Now, the day that she went over there when Ina had called, what happened after
3: you? Ina took my car and parked it over in front of Eastwood Schoolhouse. I didn't know this at the time. All I knew was she took my car. And uh, I went in and then she left the that and then she came back and then she went back to work and while she was gone taking my car back between the time she took my car back and went to work well I tried to get out and I didn't get away that time he'd caught me I couldn't get the door open it sticks and so when she came back he says we almost goofed the whole thing up because she almost got away and so then she went back to work and he said he wanted to talk to me after she left. And I said, what do you want? And he said, oh, I'm going to talk to you after she goes back to work. He said he wanted me to go to the basement. And I said, what for? He said he wanted to talk to me in the basement. And I said, why? He said, just go down. He wanted to talk to me. So he followed me downstairs. I was scared. I was very scared. I was getting anyway. I went down. He followed me down the stairs. And in the washroom, he had put a deer gun in the washroom. And he told me, that, just wait a minute. He said, just stand over there a minute. And he reached in the door there at the washroom and opened the door up and brought this deer gun out. And he says, all right, now take this and end it all. He says, you should have done this while he was deer hunting. He'd have been a lot happier if I would just shot and then when everybody was happy and everything and, and it's all been over with no problems and, and I looked at him and I said you've got to be kidding me and he says just go ahead and do it and he says I'll be a lot happier he said just do it and he says then nobody's gonna he says then you can just leave and I said do you really think that I'm that stupid and he says go ahead and I never even touched the gun I I wouldn't even touch it And he says, well, you won't do it. And I says, no, I won't do it. I says, I've got two kids that I want to raise. He says, well, this wouldn't hurt. I yeah. Anyway, he put the gun down and took it back upstairs. I don't remember for sure what he did with the bear rifle. But anyway, we went back upstairs and sat down. Now, by that time, I was crying and I was very upset. And some way or other, I can't remember just exactly, went upstairs and I got to the front door and I got out and he was right behind me it sticks and you can't always get it open and I had a time getting it open uh not it just happened to come open that time the time before I had a time getting it open I got caught and he was right behind me I ran down the stairs and I got clear across the street and he was right behind me and as I went out the door, then he followed me out the door, and somewhere or other, he slipped and fell, and he was right back up on his feet, and he caught me just across the street. At this time, he hurt his shoulder. This is when he hurt his shoulder. We, He caught me, and made me go back in the house, and he says, all right, now that you, all the neighbors know all this, and he says, that's a real pretty sight for all the neighbors and all this and that. And right then, I didn't really care about what neighbors knew it or anything went back in the house, and I got sick, and I went in the bathroom, and I I vomited, and then I passed out, and when I, he was going to call, you know, he had hurt his shoulder and everything, anyway, she came home, had called her, and then they decided that they better, he better go down to the doctor, because he just couldn't stand the pain, he asked me if I was all right, and I said I would be all right just to leave me alone. And he made me promise that when they got back from the hospital that I would come over and talk to him. Well, there was nothing else I could do to get out of that house but promise that I would come back to talk to him, because I was scared to death then. So I told him, yes, I'd come back, yes, I'd come back, and I knew I wouldn't. I mean, nobody would. And so then they—this is how I knew my car was over at the schoolhouse. And then they went on down to Holdridge, and he was in the hospital down there. And when they come back, well, they wanted me to come over, and I never did go back over. Did they keep on going? Yes, all the time.
0: It seemed the more Kay tried to end the relationship, the more desperate and aggressive Harold became.
3: He told me I was alive and I was terrible and, and everything, and that they thought I should pay for the food that I ate while I was over there and that, that I should pay for my food and everything. And that if I didn't, he was gonna uh, see to it that I lost the kids and that he was gonna do all sorts of things and he was gonna hurt me in any way that he could hurt me. Anything that he thought that he could do, he would do. He called the welfare office and told them that I wasn't turning on all the money that I was making. And I used my car a lot on the job. And I was taking mileage and this and that. And he thought that he would stop all the welfare that I was getting on the kids because he didn't think that I could make it without this money from the welfare. And he called the welfare office and told them that he thought that they'd better check into this, check into my. And uh, as far as he knew, he went along with this. I thought that uh, he had completely stopped all of the welfare. Well, it didn't stop all of the welfare
0: at all. Did he continue
2: to call or did he yes. to continue to call yes. all
0: summer? Did they yeah. ever make any
2: threats to
0: you? Or yes. Other
2: than
3: that? that he would hurt me any way that he could. And he would either love me all the way or he would hate me all the way. And some way or other, that he was going to hurt me very, very much, and if he couldn't get to me, and I asked him what he meant, how he was going to hurt me, I said, I suppose he's just going to shoot and get over with. And, well, that would be too easy because I wouldn't really feel the pain.
0: You know, when you listen to Kay's side of the story, the main question you probably have, as I did, is why. Why couldn't Harold accept that a long-term love affair involving both his mistress and his wife was untenable? I mean, it, it couldn't last forever. And why wasn't Ena Oakes happy that her husband's lover wanted to end it and just leave? I mean, it's a win-win for everybody, you'd think, right? It doesn't make a damn bit of sense. And I pick up
6: the conversation with Dr. Scalora at the Highway Diner in Lincoln. You know, the why is a question people look at a lot. And I think one thing to recognize is there's really not a one-size-fits-all for criminality. People get into trouble for a variety of reasons. There are some people who get into trouble as a young person, just frankly bad judgment or they thought it would be cool or interesting. Uh, there are some who engage in crimes because they like it. They enjoy the thrill of it. They enjoy being able to get away with things. They like stealing things. They like doing things that they could benefit from as a result of that behavior. And there's some who get caught in bad situations and make bad decisions and engage in a crime because they're at the wrong place at the wrong time. They may have had attitudes where they thought they might hurt someone, but they didn't act on them before. But the time was right, and then all of a sudden... They're at that place, and here we go.
0: And that's kind of what happened, I think, in this Hoyt murder case in McCook, Nebraska, in 1973. But this is what fascinates me about this case. The people involved, the murderers, these are two people who were married for a long, long time, had children of their own, they were empty nesters, they were salt-of-the-earth people. Harold worked as a foreman for the Nebraska Department of Roads. His wife was an accomplished administration person for the Red Willow County School District, worked with the superintendent of schools. She at one time worked in the Red Willow County Tax Assessor's Office. So very accomplished and skilled, not a blip on their criminal record, not a parking ticket. And yet they go down into a place where they kill two people in the basement of their house because of a three-way love affair that went wrong. I'm I'm so fascinated about where does the
6: human brain go in these type of situations? Where does it come off the rails? You know, people don't kill over policy issues because we deal with, we manage threats all the time. There are people who say things all the time where they wish someone were dead or someone should die or I want to kill you. Mm-hmm. And we hear that even more and more in the land of I'm pointing to my cell phone. These used to just be telephones. And what has happened as a result of that is we've had this depersonalization. You and I can text each other. Right. We're not seeing each other as we are now and looking at facial expression.
0: Right. The visual cues that the, the human body...
6: Right. So when you think of how we are now with communication, it's easy to think about how we can say things and not mean them. So now go back in your time machine. How many decades? Boy, it actually... 50 years this year. 50 years before we had these devices, you know, when people had to look at each other or actually had to dial on a phone that you didn't push buttons in. You dialed it. You literally dialed it. And for those who are listening on the podcast, they're going to have to Google what a dial phone looks like, (laughs) right? That meant that interpersonal contact was definitely interpersonal. You know, there, there, there are two instincts that people have to, that, that are very strong, right? One is the instinct for self preservation. The other area where that is, is doing something where you're going to throw your life away. Now, there are times when people make very bad decisions under extreme duress or, and they realize, Oh my God, I couldn't have made that decision if it weren't for that. But when you have a situation where you have a grievance, you have, a conflict going on, you know. People people just don't kill over an abstraction; they kill about something that is meaningful and personal to them. Um, even if they weren't planning to quote kill someone in advance, the fact they can contemplate it still means it was something of meaning to them.
0: Unfortunately, things were only going to get worse for Kaheim and the Noxes. Lanny Rob Lee was sheriff at the time. I spoke with him at the Anvil Bar and Grill in Curtis, Nebraska. So you're interviewing Kay. You learn that she has been seeing a number of men, both married and unmarried men, some prominent businessmen, big names in town. What was your takeaway when she told you this story, that they might be the people who did it?
2: You know, my takeaway was that Kay Hine, in her mind, knew what happened. And I don't think that she knew it because she was involved or there when it happened or anything like that, but just the progress of of how her relationship went. And uh, she knew what happened to those people.
0: That and a whole lot more coming up on the next edition of the series American Gothic, Love and Murder, Part 3. And that wraps up another episode of Across the Dinerverse from the Highway Diner in Lincoln, Nebraska and the Anvil Bar and Grill in Curtis. A huge thank you to Lanny Rob Lee, clinical psychologist Dr. Mario Scalora from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and the author of In Cold Storage, Mr. James Hewitt. the book published by the University of Nebraska Press and available on Amazon. Theme music by Keith Brock and the Kings Who Rock. And if you'd like to support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, just 3 bucks, and I appreciate it, uh, please visit my Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Dynaverse. That's patreon.com backslash Dynaverse. Across the Dynaverse, searching for the heart and soul of America, one diner at a time. What's your story?